0: As we get to the point, amen. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online today. I hope that you felt the worship here and the spirit here. And uh, we're glad that you're in the service. You're not here in body, but you're with us. And uh, we want you to know that we're thankful that you're here and we're praying for you as well. And I want to say how good it is to see all of your faces. It's always good to have somebody to preach to and sing with right Joe when you come to church on Sunday and so I'm glad you're here today. I want to just mention a couple things if I could before I move forward. Uh, One thing I I mentioned to the staff a few days ago I kind of felt a little I guess tug about was uh, prayer. The importance of praying uh, for our community and so we've got a sign-up list going uh, out in the lobby. Miss Helen was at it in the first service and I think she probably has uh, gone on home, but there is a clipboard out in the lobby, and this is what I'm proposing to you. Um, The thought I have is that on Sunday evening, maybe about 5 o'clock, a couple of families a week would gather here at the church, park your car in the parking lot there, just get out, and then walk the sidewalks. We've got, uh, those of us that have been around here for a while, we know the blessings of these sidewalks on Interrarity Point Road But they go all the way down to the Point Restaurant. So the thought is, if we could get a family on one side, another family on the other, and just walk and pray for our community. How many of you believe that would be a great thing for several weeks, just to pray over our community? Something simple you can do. You can kind of kill two birds with one stone. uh, Get some exercise and do some praying, all right? And so there's a sign-up list in the lobby, there's two columns there, if we could just kind of uh, get two families as we start, not starting today, I believe the starting day is uh, the first Sunday of September, I think, uh, it's the 13th on there, okay, uh, if we could just get start signing up, uh, our family will take, of course, a slot or two, and let's pray for our community that God would do a fresh thing here in our midst, amen? Uh, thank you, John, for missioning about school starting back, and we're praying for all of our teachers and Uh, moms and dads that uh, homeschool. We're praying that this would be a a great year. Uh, This afternoon at baptism, we're going to have a four o'clock meeting. We'll just meet right back over here in this section of the room. Uh, If you're going to get baptized or you've got a son or a daughter getting baptized, uh, we're going to meet here at four. We have some baptismal shirts and then we're going to go over everything about the baptism and how we're going to do it. And so i look forward to seeing you at four o'clock today. I want to ask you, if you would, uh, on a personal level, uh, if you would pray uh, for Rebecca's husband, Josh. That's our son-in-law, Josh Cruz. Uh, he was hospitalized last night with COVID-19 in Atlanta. Uh, he has uh, had a, about 103 fever for about 12 days. And uh, we you know, kept hoping that he was going to turn the curve a little bit. And uh, he just got to the point yesterday where he couldn't go anymore. And so they went to the hospital and they put him in there and they say he's going to be in there for a few days. And so I would appreciate Misty and I and Rebecca, of course, uh, would appreciate you praying for uh, him. Rebecca, our daughter, has had COVID as well, uh, but she has not had the symptoms that he has had, as has been the case for some that have had it. Uh, So I would appreciate you praying for her emotionally, spiritually, and then uh, praying for him as the doctors are taking care of him there in Atlanta. All right. All right. Thank you so much for doing that. Grab your Bible and go with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. If you're a guest today, thank you for being here. Uh, We have been on a journey through uh, the book of Nehemiah, and we find ourselves today in the very last chapter. We're going to wrap up the series. Next Sunday is going to be a first priority prayer gathering uh, where we're going to spend the service focused on prayer and actually doing the work of prayer And then the Sunday after that, two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new verse-by-verse series in the book of Hebrews, and basically going to preach a whole bunch of messages on the fact that Jesus is better than anything you can name, all right? Uh, That's going to be the series, and so we'll start that in a couple of weeks. But let's wrap up Nehemiah today with what I believe is a very, very important message for this moment And this hour that we live in. So I'm gonna ask you to do two things today. Number one, give me your best ears. Give the Holy Spirit your best ears. And number two, put your seatbelt on. All right, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm preaching today on this subject. It doesn't take long to drift. It doesn't take long to drift. Hear the word of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. They did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law... They separated from Israel and all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Elisha the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, the wine, the oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers. And the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. So I confronted the officials, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the wine and oil into the storehouses. I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Petaiah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for His service. I'm going to stop there. And may God add His blessings to the reading of His Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, in this hour, in this moment, we need fresh oil. We need a fresh filling from the Holy Spirit to once again deliver the message that You have given me for this hour. God, this message right now is so important for many, many of us in this room, for many that are listening online, for many in our community and in our nation. Lord, remind us today that even though today we might be on the straight and narrow path, doing right, living for you, remind us today that it doesn't take long to drift. To drift away from what we know is right, To drift away from what we know the Word of God says. Lord, help us to not be drifters. (laughs) Help us to be obeyers. If there's one person in this room today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would be saved before it's eternally too late. Show them today the beauty of the cross. And that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He took our sin in His body on the tree. He took the wrath of God in Himself on the tree so that I would not experience the wrath. God, thank You for sending Jesus to die for us so that we could have a covenant relationship with You. So I also want to pray for every covenantal person in the room that knows Jesus that you will speak to us from this text in these moments. Speak to the church, Lord. Speak to husbands, wives, families from this text in this moment. I pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said. My wife left the house on Monday to drive up to her mother's uh, for a few days. Our Lexi had been up there visiting and Uh, She was going to go see her family and then, of course, bring Lexi back. Uh, Lexi starts school tomorrow. And just before my wife left, I can assure you that uh, the house was immaculately in order. How many of you ladies would say, amen, you feel good when that's the case, right? I mean, all the clothes were washed, the sheets were washed, there was a fresh scent in the house. Everything was in its place. The dishes were put up just like she uh, likes it. And so she took just a minute before she left to encourage me with some sound advice on how I might be able to help maintain that environment during the week. And so, uh, you know, of course, she told me about things that I needed to do and so forth. And, and how many of you know when the cat's away, the mice will play and and you know you kind of do your own thing. You say, "Well, I'll get to that tomorrow." Well, I'll get to that Wednesday, and and things just begin to pile up. Uh, but the whole time, we knew uh, that when Mama gets home, uh, we hope to please her, make her smile, and make her happy with a acceptable condition as to how she left left the house. And and I'm proud to tell you that she did return, and the house was. I would say more than satisfactory. Uh, You'll have to ask her after the service, all right, whether or not she agreed with that. I give you that little silly story because I believe it is a perfect picture of what happens in Nehemiah chapter 13. You see, Nehemiah has finished the wall. He's led physical reforms. Uh, He's been a part of spiritual reforms. But after his 12 years of being a governor, uh, he checks out. It's time for him to go back to his position in Shushan, uh, being and serving on Artaxerxes' uh, advisory council, if you will, including, remember chapter 1, he was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. So he goes back Uh, He left everything in place, everything headed in the right direction. The wall is completed. Uh, The people have signed a covenant. Uh, Remember, y'all with me? Chapter 9, verse 38. God, yes, here we are. We love you. Put my name down. Uh, We're going to serve you. Uh, We're going to follow you all the days of our life. God, we're going to live right. We're going to worship right. We're going to give right. At least, that's what they promised in the moment. Nehemiah is wondering in his mind, no doubt, hey, you know, I wonder what's going on back in Jerusalem. I know how I left it. I know what it looked like when I rode off on my donkey, but I'm wondering what's going on. And so he says to Artaxerxes, can I have permission to go back home and to check on things and to see how things are going? And the text that I read for you just a moment ago, unfortunately, What Nehemiah found was that God's covenantal people who had promised a lot of good things and said a lot of good things and signed a lot of good things had unfortunately once again drifted away. When Nehemiah gets back, what does he have to do? We see in this chapter he has to set the house of God in order once again. Now, interestingly, in verses 1 through 3, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open, what are the people doing? They're reading the Bible. No doubt this was a a part of the routine, but I would suggest to you today that you can read the Bible and not let the Bible read you. So they're hearing the Word, right? They're getting an intake of the Word, but yet... They're not obeying the word and all of this fervor and all of this passion for God and all of this obedience that they had professed after a period of time, at least a year, uh, some scholars say, at least a year, Nehemiah comes back and he finds the place in a mess. Here's what I want you to see in chapter 13 real quick, all right? Number one, I want you to see the drift of compromise. The drift of compromise. What is compromise? It is to accept standards that are lower than desirable. Now that's just a straight dictionary.com definition, but let me give you a spiritual and biblical definition. Compromise is when God sets the standard and we think that we can lower it. When God sets the desirable standard, position and we think we can accept something that's lower and anytime we do that as god's people we are falling into compromise now i told you a minute ago to put your seatbelt on because i want to say today we are living in the day of compromise compromise where many are attempting to lower god's standard What is God's standard by which we should live? For them, they had the law, right? The book of Deuteronomy. They had the Ten Commandments. They had very specific details as to how they were supposed to live their life. I mean, to the very uh, most minute detail. This is how you live. This is how you treat your neighbor. This is how you give. Right down the line, God had spelled it all out for them, but yet they found themselves drifting from the standard i just finished a book a few days ago entitled by what standard by what standard and several authors in that book asked the question in this day in 2020 by what standard will god's people live by what standard will we live when it comes to marriage will we live by the biblical definition of marriage or how we feel on our own What will we do? What standard will we live by when it comes to questions of gender and questions of justice and questions of behavior? What is our standard? Wouldn't it be just like God to not just create us and turn us loose into the middle of all the chaos, but for God Almighty to give us a book that is our standard? Thank you, Brother Lou. The Word of God is our standard This book, not how I feel, not how I think, not what some author that is unbiblical and out in left field is writing about, but when we have a question, we cannot compromise. We must come to the scriptures. I was so burdened this week to see a headline. The headline said, 31% of evangelical Christians believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. When I read that headline, the first thought in my mind was this. The headline should be changed to say 31% of non-Christians who attend an evangelical church believe that Jesus is not God. Don't call yourself a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus is the God-man. How do we get in a mess like that? I asked the question today, if you've got some... Better answers than I offer than come see me after the service. But my question is this, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, where is the church every five minutes, how in the world do we have people sitting in evangelical churches today who call themselves Christians that say Jesus is not God? I'll tell you friends, we have compromised the word of God. The Word of God is not the final authority. The Word of God is not the standard. And that's why we have 72% of the churches in our country today that do not believe the Bible is the Word of God. They do not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. They do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And when you have that culture and that environment, you've got compromise. The Bible is the standard. And I'm telling you today, by God's grace, you can fire me, kick me out in the parking lot, or do whatever you need to do. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, this book right here is going to be the standard. We're not going to go off our feelings. We're not going to go off what we think. We're not going to go off what politicians say. We're not going to go off what psychologists say. We're going to go off what God says. God's Word is the final authority and it always will be regardless if I accept it or not. We're living in a day of compromise. You see, when you make statements and I make statements like, well, you know, I just feel like sometimes I want to say, and that is the problem. That right there is the problem. Compromise lowers God's standards. I told you to put your seatbelt on. One of the reasons we need godly leadership today Hear me, one of the reasons we need godly leadership today is because you and I, on a regular basis, need somebody to remind us what the standard is. You and I, on a regular basis, need someone to say, hey, you need to get back over here, you need to get back into the scripture. What happened in Nehemiah chapter 13? Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. You see, if you don't have a standard, that's the problem in our nation and in our culture today, is that we're not operating off the same baseline and foundation. We're not operating off God's law, God's standard, God's morals. And when you have that, what happens? The people begin to drift. All you have to do, you don't have to go to to the bookstore and get a book, just read your Bible. What happens in the Old Testament? Here's one king, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know what he would do? He would lead the people to drift away. God says, get over here. And before you know it, they're over here worshiping pagans and other idols. And then praise God, at some points, there would be kings who would step forward and they would say, by God's grace and with His help, we're going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Now, when you do what's right in the sight of the Lord, what happens? God blesses, right? God sustains you. God supports you through it all. And and so I think about this in this hour. Just hold on just a minute. I'm going somewhere with this. We need leadership today, leadership today that says God's Word is the standard. It's the same in Nehemiah chapter 13. Look at verse number 6. Nehemiah says, I haven't been here. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Nehemiah was not there to bring immediate correction, to speak up when things were getting off track. So what happened when he got back, he found another mess to clean up. How big is the mess? If you can't grasp in verse number 4 how big the mess is, then you're missing it. Look in your Bible, verse number 4. What does it say? I read it to you a minute ago. When he gets back, Eliashib the high priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God? He prepared for Tobiah a large chamber. Why? Number one, he's compromising. Number two, he's working a family deal here, right? It says he was related to him. Do you recognize the name Tobiah? Wave at me if you recognize it. You recognize, how many of you had your coffee today? Y'all, are y'all with me? I need some energy from y'all, okay? Y'all, y'all are like, we're at a, some of you are like we're at a funeral right now. Wake up. We're in the house of God. We need this message right now. What about Tobiah? Who was Tobiah? Tobiah was an enemy of the work of God. When, when Nehemiah was up on the wall, it was, it was Tobiah and Sanballat saying, Hey, y'all come down. Let's talk about this. It was, it was Tobiah and Sanballat who were plotting to kill Nehemiah to stop him from doing what God had called him to do. Fast forward Nehemiah finishes his 12 years as a governor. He's back with Artaxerxes. And the high priest Eliashib takes the enemy and gives him an office in the house of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine coming into church one Sunday and Tobiah's got an office here in the church? That's how far compromise had led them. The enemy of God. Yeah, just come on in here with us. What's the problem with that? Well... Look on the screen. Deuteronomy 23 shows us what the first three verses of our text really mean. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loved you. Verse number 6, you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days forever. Now, y'all in agreement with me today, how much clearer could God have been? (laughs) If you've got an Ammonite or a Moabite, they're done. I know somebody would say, well, that's just not a very loving God. He's God, and he's going to do what he's going to do. I'm done with them. They have no hope. They have no chance. You're to never welcome them in the assembly of God. You're not to have peace with them. But guess what? When we are left to ourselves, what do we do? We do that which is right in our own eyes. We go off our feelings, right? And when we have that, the result is compromise. The result is chaos. Friends, you and I are living in a day where we have a front row seat in our country to compromise. We're living in a day, in a time, you know this, I'm being Captain Obvious. We're living in a day where evil is good and good is evil. We're living in a day where there's no standard. There's no standard by which men operate, men just do what's right in their own eyes, and then we debate whether or not it's okay or not okay, instead of saying, nope, this is what the Bible says about that, and God's already spoken into that, and what we have right now in this moment is what you get when you have godless leaders who do not obey and fear God. I have a question to ask for you today. Where are the men? where are the men i've got a book on my desk right now entitled the masculine mandate and the author asked the question where are the men where are the men in this text ladies just hold on a minute because when i read all this mess i see that all of this mess is caused by men who were put in positions of leadership and did not fulfill the role that God had called them to fulfill. Men, the most important unit that God has ordained is not the church, it's the family. You see, the covenant starts with the family. Men, God has called you and me to love and to cherish our families. To teach them the ways of the Lord. The Shema, Pastor John. Deuteronomy chapter 6. To teach our families to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. You see, that all that doesn't start at the church house. It starts at your address. It's our job, men, to step forward and be the leaders. To act like men... That's what it says in 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul said to the church at Corinth, it's time for some of you dudes to act like men, to step forward and be the spiritual leader, to lead well, to lead in the standard, to to be in our place. I read just the other day, or actually heard it on a podcast that one of the church members sent me. It was talking about the lack of male leadership in the evangelical church. And the statistic now is that church attendance is 61% women to 39% men. So ladies, let me brag on you for just a minute. For being faithful and stepping forward. Let me tell you why some women have to end up leading in certain positions. It's because men are AWOL. AWOL. Totally AWOL. Let me give you another stat. You ready for this? So in Christian ministries in churches and Christian ministries across the United States for paid staff positions. Paid staff positions. 75% women and 25% men. And you say what's wrong with that? Well hold on just a minute. Ladies, thank you. Thank you for stepping forward. Thank you for having a heart to serve God. But I've got to stop for just a minute and I've got to ask the question, where are the men? Before I answer that question, ladies, let me say to you, would you please, by God's grace and for His glory, Feel his love and his affection and his affirmation over your life that he has created you beautifully and wonderfully. And you are gifted in such a beautiful and unique way that none of us knuckleheaded men could ever offer what you offer in his kingdom. You're cherished. You're wonderful. You're loved. Let me say this you are not less, you are greater. Ladies, we praise God for you. Praise God for you when you fulfill the role that God has uniquely crafted you for. And please hear me, it's all spelled out right here. Are we in agreement this morning? It's all spelled out right here. You're beautifully and wonderfully made and gifted for God's kingdom. But ladies, if you would allow me for just a minute to have a conversation with the men, I want to say to the men... Men, what the standard that God has set, it is not out of date. It is current. It is sufficient for our families and for our churches that God has said, Men, step forward and be the man of God that He wants you to be. The church of Jesus Christ today is suffering from a lack of Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-led Biblically saturated men to be the leaders in our homes and in our churches. Men, evaluate yourself in this moment. Let me just go ahead and go a step further. I want to say this and be very clear that I believe that it is God's plan for men to hold the position of preaching the Word of God. It's a man's responsibility to pastor and preach at the church. It is not a role for a woman. Y'all got real quiet on me. What is my standard? My standard is not how I feel. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. My standard is not, well, you know. No, my standard is what God has said. That men are to preach the Word. That does not mean that I'm more important than my wife who plays the keyboard. What that means is God said men get along with me, get filled with the Holy Spirit, get your heart filled with the Word of God, and get up and preach it to the church. That's what God said. And so we hold that standard high. We're suffering today from emotions and bad hermeneutics because it's 2020, right? That mindset is infiltrating the church. And I suggest to you today that we are in trouble when we force our feelings and our human logic on the Bible. It is clear as it can be that men are supposed to step forward and lead. But look at me. I'm telling you, I'm seeing a day where, praise God, there are some men who have a backbone like a saw log. And yet I'm seeing we're living in a day where men are being duped by Satan to drift into compromise. Compromise. And any time we compromise... What happens? Look at verse 11 and 12. As they compromise, Nehemiah says to them, Why? Why? is the house of God forsaken? I love this. And I'm going to come back to Nehemiah's leadership in just a minute. They have compromised, which led them to forsake the house of God. Number two. Not only do I see the drift of compromise, but I see the drift of apathy. Now look at me. If you'd get honest today, every single one of us are a candidate for this one. But let me show you how apathy shows up in this text in verse number 15. Here's Nehemiah, and I'll go back to a couple verses before 15, lest you think I skipped over them. Here's Nehemiah. He comes in and he's he's just observing what's going on. He goes up to the temple and he says, Uh, Elisha, who's in here? Oh, this is Tobiah's office. Really? Nehemiah walks out of the house of God, and he goes out, and it happens to be the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday, right? And that was the day that God had very clearly told his people, that's my time. Okay, I want you to consecrate it. Consecrate it to me. And, and you can see this to this day. The Jewish people understand Sabbath. You go there. I'm telling you on Saturday morning, you will not get a fresh brewed pot of coffee. It ain't happening. You know why? Because they won't hit start on the coffee pot because that's work. They understand That when God said, keep it holy, I'm holy, this day is for me. This day is not for you. This day is for me. Look at verse 15. But in those days, I saw in Judah people who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They were bringing in heaps of grain. They were loading donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads. Which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, they were bringing in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem itself. Now here's Nehemiah. He's God's man for God's hour. What's he going to do? He sees that the people are being disobedient to god and i I want to suggest to you from the text that what he does not do is he does not look around and say well you know that's just the day we're living in no he looks around and he says you know what god's people have drifted what they signed a covenant for in chapter 9 and verse 38 back in chapter 9 when the book was read, read in the public streets All the people were saying, amen, amen, let it be so. We're going to do this. And now, instead of keeping it holy, they're working and they're trading. And they're spending the day focused on themselves, what they want to do and how they feel. As opposed to doing what God had told them to do. And you know what? Verse 17 and 18 tells us God sent Nehemiah right there to him to speak up and to say this is wrong. Let me say this. I thank God for spiritual leaders. I thank God for pastors. I, I don't need to chase a rabbit, but I don't agree with everything that Pastor MacArthur has done. I don't agree with everything he says, but I appreciate the stand that he's taken in these recent weeks to say, no, we're going to meet as a church. And the government's not going to tell us we can't. We're living in a day, folks, where, where pastors pastors can't just roll over. Pastors need to stand, spiritual leaders need to stand forward. And you know, we're, we're being wise around here. We're trying our best to, to be clean and safe. That's not the point. I think they need to do a better job of that, maybe. <laughs> okay? But the point is, at the end of the day, if you believe in something, it's time to stand up for it. If you believe in the Word of God, it's time to stand on it. It's time to speak up and say, no, 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 hold on just a minute. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And while I would say, you know, you know being a preacher is rewarding and it's fulfilling, I want you to know it's hard at times. And I would just briefly suggest to you to extend the grace to pastors and leaders during this time because these are uncharted waters. On the other hand, I want to say that I am I'm burdened, I'm concerned, I'm frustrated. Because the word apathy means a lack of concern. It's like we're living in a day where we're not as concerned about what God said. Let me illustrate for you. I saw a headline this week about a pastor of a Baptist church in Georgia who's running for a political office. And he came out and he said that abortion is completely compatible with Christianity. A pastor of a Baptist church. Now listen to me, when I, when I, when I heard that, when I saw that, I'm telling you in my heart, I just grieve. I just literally my body did like this. I was heartbroken, heartbroken. How can a man who calls himself a preacher of the word of God take something that is so satanic and evil and say that it is completely completely compatible with Christianity? So so I just say to you today, no. No, it's not. The Bible says you shall not kill. And I would add that doesn't just go for abortion. That goes for anything and everything. Why? Because God is our Creator. He's the Creator of all human life. I want you to know that I do not believe there are accidents. I don't care what the situation is. Every person that has the blessing of life by, given to them by God... No matter the situation, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are all created in the image of God. God is the giver of life. And we need to protect life in all situations because God is the giver of it. But yet we get apathetic, we get a lack of concern. And what happens? What happens in verse number 11? The house of God is forsaken. Everybody's off course. What's going on? So what do we do? Well, I would suggest to you that that God is the hero of the book of Nehemiah. Okay? Nehemiah is not the hero. But we have always found that God has chosen to use both men and women at different places in the Bible to speak into a situation. And God sends Nehemiah back to bring corrective leadership. Did you notice in verse number 7, look in your Bible, he says that when I came to Jerusalem, I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah. Nehemiah calls it evil. He doesn't call it building bridges. He calls it evil. Right? This, This Ammonite, this Moabite, who again? Not far from Jerusalem, not far from the country. God said, "Leave them alone. Don't have anything to do with them forever." In verse number eight. <laughs> Nehemiah goes in, and he just downright gets mad. Isn't that what Look at your Bible. Isn't that what it says? Look at your Bible. I was angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Now, I would suggest in 2020, if he would have done that today, somebody would have said, and maybe somebody would have said back then, that is not the kind of behavior that a spiritual leader ought to exhibit. Now, laugh a little bit. That was supposed to be funny. I'm not saying that pastors ought to throw furniture out in the parking lot. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God put in his word right here and Nehemiah wrote it down that he said God's not going to put up with this and he sent me to tell you that. This is not okay. Get this stuff out of here. I love what Howard Hendricks said. He said, Look on the screen, the greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership and the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. What did our scripture reading say today about two people in the church that Paul pointed out? He said, those dudes have swerved from the truth. Isn't that what it said? And when somebody swerves from the truth, somebody needs to step forward like Nehemiah here and get the contamination out of the house of God. I would suggest to you that that's maybe something we need to do today. And, and let me be honest, it starts with me and it starts with you that we need to get the sin and the crud out of our lives. What are we compromising about? What have we become apathetic about? Nehemiah steps forward he cleans it out and he says look I'm going to put you here and I'm going to put you here and you here and you here because I've heard that you're reliable and that your heart is set on God and we're going to open these chambers back up and the people are going to get back to bringing to the house of God what belongs to God and we're once again going to do the right thing look at verse number 17 when he finds them being disrespectful to the Sabbath day. In verse 17, He confronts them and says to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath day. Let me just say this about the Sabbath day. No, we no longer observe 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday. But in the Bible, it's very clear that on the first day of the week, the church gathered together. And there's also a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 that says, When the group gathers, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now just hear me a minute, I'm going to step on your toes, that's okay, but you just hear me and let it settle and let it digest, let it kind of filter down through your heart, but hear what I'm fixing to say, Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday is not family day, or ball day, or beach day, or lay at home day. You're saying, Pastor Tim, you're saying we can't go to the beach? That's not what I said. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying that you ought to make the house of God a priority. It's not the time to just do your own thing. No, we got to say to our kids, kids, listen, this is important because I'm telling you today that what we half-heartedly approach in this generation, our children are going to completely neglect. Mom and Dad, if we don't make it a priority, why would we think our kids are going to? Could somebody just say amen or oh me or something? You say, Tim, you're preaching to the group that's here and I'm glad you are. I mean that. Thank you for being here. Make church a priority. Make communion a priority. Make the Word of God priority so important these days the end of that verse in hebrews 10 says and so much more as we see the day approaching we need to come together and we need to pray and we need to sing and we need to get in the word and if you're off at walmart or the beach when you could be here you are neglecting food for your soul i just went ahead and said it corrective leadership i'm going to wrap it up in verses 19 to 28 Nehemiah just says, hey, look, we're not living holy. We're not living holy. You're letting your sons and your daughters marry into pagan families. The walls that God had put up for us and very clearly told us, don't marry them, don't let your kids marry them, don't let your daughters marry them. Now what you've done is you've invited paganism into your home. I'm not going to read it, but you read it for yourself. It, and listen, look at verse 25, I want you to see verse 25 lest you think that I'm fired up today and I might be getting a little bit over the edge I need you to read verse 25 with me Nehemiah confronted them and he cursed them I haven't cursed yet today, have I? I'm being funny that word there does not mean he used bad language it meant he was saying ju- anathema on you for doing what you're doing and look at this next phrase <laughs> some of you are laughing already and I beat some of them. Somebody's got to say, well that's just not that's just not appropriate. And how about this one? Look at the last phrase. And I pulled out their hair. After the service we're going to have a hair pulling party over in the No, we're not going to do that. You know what in this culture, yes this is drastic and yes he did it, but in this this culture when you pulled out the hair, that meant that you were placing someone under a curse or that you were saying, they're marking this person, that this person has done wrong. And then he made them an oath. He made them take another oath. In the name of God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons and their daughters to your sons for yourselves. What, what is Nehemiah doing? He's saying God has set a standard of holiness. God has set a standard of holiness. Give me your best ears for just three or four minutes. Be ye holy as I am holy. Be holy. And that standard is still applicable today, church. But yet we get entangled with the things of this world with our own flesh and our own desires and what we want. Man, I love that first song we sang today. All I want and all I need. I mean, do you really believe that? All I want and all I need is found in you. I promise you, all you want and all you need is not found in your spouse. If that's Misty's desire, she's going to be miserable. It's just the truth. And it goes the other way. Because the only one who will ever bring satisfaction in our life and be everything that we need is Jesus. is Christ. You know, I'm done. I'm done. So... When you look at Nehemiah, this is my last sermon in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not the hero God is, right? But when you look at Nehemiah, thank God, there was a man that God ordained for this moment to speak with authority. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. It says that Jesus came to this earth with all authority in heaven and on earth. Who's in charge today? Who speaks into our culture? Who speaks into my life? Who speaks into our family? Who speaks into this church with all authority? Who sets the standard? Jesus. Because He's Lord of all. You see friends, either Jesus is Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And you know what I don't want to do? As a pastor of this church, leader of my family, my children, I don't want to drift because here's what happens. You drift on one Sabbath and then it leads to three or four. Y'all with me? You, you just kind of drift in other areas and before you know it, you've got a full-blown mess. I read a story about an eight-year-old boy last year from Ohio. His family came on vacation to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And he was out in the water with his family and he was on a float that uh, was, a, was a unicorn, so it had like the horse's head, the unicorn head coming up, and so he's just out there on the water floating around, and, and what happened on this particular day is that normally the wind was blowing in one direction, blowing the waves into the beach, but on a very rare day, the wind had reversed the other direction. All his family's there, they're horsing around, you know, playing in the water, having a big time and so forth, and, and before they realized it, before this eight-year-old kid could realize it, the wind turned the other direction and the rescue workers said that the head of that unicorn was actually acting like a sail on a boat. And it took that poor boy past the waves and there he went way out in, before anybody ever realized it. How many of you mom and dads are panicking right now? I can't even, I, listen, I saw a video of a, listen to this, Two days ago in Greece, a little four-year-old girl, the same thing happened to her. And she is so far out in the water, a boat has to come over and rescue her. Somebody had the camera on, and here's this little girl sitting on that unicorn out there by herself. Only by God's grace she didn't fall off or something happened, right? The rescue worker brought him in. They They didn't interview the parents. I wouldn't have had a word to say if I'd have been the mom or dad in that moment. They interviewed the rescue worker, and here's what the rescue worker said. It only takes a few seconds before you know it you can turn your back for two or three minutes and be doing something else and before you know it you'll get swept away. It doesn't take long to drift but drift happens and if you're not careful you'll find yourself somewhere you never thought you would be if you don't stay close to the standard. If you don't if we don't keep our families, men, close to the standard. Can I get some amens from some men who want to who wanna keep the standard in your family? Amen. Come on, man! I don't need it for my ego. I need to hear it from you that you've got a conviction about that. We're going to stay close to the standard. And when we feel like somebody's drifting, we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to the book. And it's going to truly be our standard in all matters of faith and practice. Friends, that's the only way we're going to survive in this crazy world. Get back to the standard. Can we pray together? You're always a great bunch to preach to. Thank you for listening today so intently. Drifting, drifting. Drifting is going to happen. Here's what I know. We can say amen right now. Amen, amen. And then before you know it, we're going to drift. Hey, didn't they do it in Nehemiah? How many times, did you ask yourself the question? How many times you got to make an oath? (laughs) How many times you got to sign something? You know, I found that in the church. How many times you got to have a profession of faith? I done gone to meddling now, hadn't I? Surrender is surrender. Surrender is surrender. Lord, here's my life. We're going to drift. We're going to get cold. But when we do, we need people around us to say, get back over here. Get back over here.